19. Thank you for your ministry today in the service. I appreciate Brother Higby speaking in the Sunday school. If you haven't been to our Sunday schools, you're missing out as a different man of the church uh, pre teaches each week on favorite, uh, lessons from a favorite Bible character, and I've enjoyed those a great deal, and so I appreciate the ministry there. I appreciate the ministry this morning in the morning service uh, through songs and Bible reading and specials. Trust that your heart has already been moved and touched by the Lord. We're in Job chapter number 19. There are those of you who actually keep track of uh, where the message that you heard in your Bibles and who preached them. And I actually keep track of the messages that I preach. I've got a whole book that I keep track of. I keep all the lessons, the messages that I've preached all fairly organized. Um, and so if you keep track, you'll know that we were in this passage back in 2017. And I preached from there, from this passage. I didn't go back and look at the notes that I made at that time that I preached from. But I have no doubt that we did not mine all the truth from this particular passage at that time. I think there will be more there even if you got everything that I said the first time. I'm sure there's a lot more there to get today. Now let me give you a, a heads up here. The introduction is going to be super long, okay, because I've got to get us all up to speed. And so don't think, well, he got going and he forgot to pray and he forgot to read the Bible and all of that. Okay, that's not happening here, but the introduction is going to be super long because for the passage to mean what it needs to mean to us, we have to understand what's actually taking place. And so let's get into this, and I've got 16 or 17 pages of notes. That means we've got to move quickly today. And I will get you out of here on time, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Whatever that means, we don't know, but my dad used to say it all the time, so... <laughs> I have a kayak, so I don't care how high the creek is. The book of Job is a very interesting book. We aren't exactly sure who actually wrote it down, and we aren't actually exactly sure when it was written down. But the story itself is very clear. Some of the conversations in the story are not that clear. As you're reading, you think, what are they talking about here? If you're unfamiliar with the story, let's get a foundation here so you know exactly what we're dealing with. The story is about a man named Job. Job had followed the Lord very conscientiously. He was very particular about his relationship with God. The Lord had made him a very wealthy man. He, had a, he was a happy man with a family full of grown kids, a very happy family together. One day, the devil comes to the Lord, before the Lord, and accuses the brethren, which he always does. And he's accusing all the brethren and all the believers. And the Lord says, hey, have you looked at Job? You haven't been in doing any accusing of Job. Have you looked at Job over here? And the devil says, well, what do you expect? You have made him wealthy, you've made him happy, you've made him all of these things. What do you expect him to do? You expect him to, to curse you because he's, he's all wealthy and happy? And the Lord says, I, I'm going to let you test him a little bit. If you want to test Job, we'll see what he's made out of. So I'll let you test him. Don't hurt him, but you can do whatever you want to test him to see if his love for me is genuine. 
So the devil goes to test him. If you think about this from Job's perspective, that next day is a very hard day. Put yourself in Job. I like to put myself into Bible characters' positions. You're Job. You wake up, the day is just like normal. Everything's running like clockwork. The family's all well. You're doing well. Your business is running well. Everything's going good. At about noon, in runs one of your servants. And he says, this neighboring tribe, this, I think it was the Sabians, came in and we were out there farming. We had all of the oxen. We had all of the donkeys out there. We were farming. And they came in and killed everybody and stole all of your farming equipment. All of your oxen, all of your donkeys are all gone. I'm the only one left. Now, this is a huge financial hit. But he also lost a whole bunch of trusted friends of his. These servants had been with the family for a long time. He lost all of them as well. This is a huge hit. This servant barely gets these words out of his mouth when another one comes running in. And he says, a fire fell out of heaven and burned up all your sheep and killed all the servants there. And I'm the only guy left. No, fire coming from heaven. That appears to be that God did this. Now, this is another huge financial hit as well as, okay, now the friends, more friends, servants are lost. And he's not sure about how this is going and where this is coming from. It looks like God did this to him. He hasn't had time to absorb that news. And the servant runs in and says, the camels just got stolen by the Chaldeans and they killed all the servants as well. This is another very heavy blow. Basically, at this point, Job is wiped out financially. He's extremely wealthy, and now he's in poverty almost instantly. He has lost it all. You realize in the late 1920s, men were jumping out of the tops of buildings for less news than this. When the stock market crashed, they were jumping because they'd lost it all. Job has in an instant lost it all. But then comes the heaviest blow of all. The, this blow makes all the other blows seem like nothing. The servant comes in and says, I hate to tell you this, but all of your kids were together eating. You know, this is one of Job's joys. Parents, you'll realize, understand this. When your kids all grow up and can get together and enjoy one another. So they're all, this is one of Job's joys that his family can all get together be happy with each other. He said, they're all together. And I would say, a wind came. I would say a tornado, but Mr. Adam would be lost for the rest of the message here. He's, he's an outsider from out east, and tornadoes give him a little trouble. So a big wind, Adam, just a big wind, okay, <laughs> came and knocked down the house. And the servant comes walking in and saying, not one of your kids, not two of your kids, but every single one of your kids is dead. Can you imagine the blow that that was? Here's Job. He's just lost everything financially. He's now in poverty. And now that can be rebuilt. You know, you can work on your business and all of that. But this blow is too hard almost to even fathom. He has lost 
everything. And what does Job do? He falls on his face and he worships God and he says, Naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And verse number 22 of the, of the first chapter says, In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. This is the grace of God at work in a life. To have taken all of this and to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Of course, the devil comes back to the Lord and says, he's accusing all the other brethren. He doesn't happen to mention Job because that didn't go so well because Job stood the test. And the Lord says, by the way, did you consider Job? And he says, well, what do you expect? He's healthy. You didn't allow me to touch him. I'm sure all that other stuff was just external to him. But you didn't allow me to touch him. So, of course, he's going to, to, to follow you. And the Lord said, you cannot kill him, but I'm going to take my protective hand off. And so Job gets boils, big sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Now, in the midst of all this, his wife has gone, gone crazy. You can imagine that, how the stress of all this would have affected her. And she just tells Job, just curse God and let him kill you. Let's get this all over with. Emotionally, he is strained to the limits. And now physically, he is in serious, serious pain. He's sitting on a rubble heap, and he is scraping these. All he's got is a broken piece of pottery. He's scraping these things, trying to get himself to feel better. And three friends show up. You know, that's always a good thing, you'd think, in life when your friends show up and you're having difficulty. The grief is so great. Now, get yourself into this mindset. The grief is so great in Job, the burden is so heavy, this has been such a blow, that these guys, who aren't very smart to begin with, don't say anything for seven whole days. Seven days, seven nights, they just sit there. They have enough brains to realize there's nothing we can say here. And so they just sit with their friend Job for seven days and seven nights without saying a word. That was the best thing that they did. After the seven days, they started opening their mouth. And they started accusing Job of having some hidden sin that caused all of this. And for the next 30-some chapters... It's a, a conversation between Job trying to explain and try to figure out what in the world is going on with these three friends beating him up. Very difficult. As they get through the conversation, when you're getting toward the end of this, Job starts kind of sliding off. And he's so busy trying to justify himself because he can't figure this out that he starts to blame God a little bit. The three friends can't find anything wrong, but they just condemn him, says, you must be bad because all these bad things are happening. There's one more friend that had showed up. He was a young man who was sitting in the back, not saying a word because he was, felt like he was too young to say anything. Finally, he can't handle it. His name is Elihu. He's the only one that had brains in the whole group. He says, what do you people think you're doing? I'm a young man, and I've been listening to you. But Job, you're sitting here justifying yourself and not justifying God. And you people are blaming Job and you can't even find out anything wrong. You're condemning him without any proof at all. 
then God steps in. And God has some very serious things to say to Job. And when God gets done speaking, Job is lying flat on his face, worshiping God, understanding that he did try to just justify himself. And then when God, God has some serious things to say about the, to the friends. And then when Job prays for his friends, God restores all this back to the way it should have been and blesses Job in a great and mighty way. That's the story in a nutshell. But we're going to jump into it in the middle of it. In verse number, chapter number 19, verse number 21. We're about halfway through this discussion. And in verse number 21 of chapter number 19, this is Job speaking. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do you persecute me as God, and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven in an iron pen and led in the, in the rock forever. For I, know that my, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God." Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But ye should say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishment of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. you go to almost any national monument or historical place, what you'll find there are plaques. Generally, they're made out of bronze, cast bronze. Sometimes they're etched in stone or marble. And what they will be is a saying, a quote from somebody from that event. If you go to Gettysburg, there is a place, and the, the words of the Gettysburg Address are in, I believe, bronze, and a big bronze plaque there that you can read the words of the Gettysburg Address that Lincoln made. I haven't been to Valley Forge, but I'm guessing if you went there, there's going to be some quote from Washington all put into stone there. Almost any place you go where something has happened, there's a historical monument, they have recorded something that somebody said. I'm sure that you've seen this because it's a very common thing that we do. I think I told you that when I was in high school, in, when I have study hall, I used to go to the library. And I would pull out a book called Bartlett's Familiar Quotations. And I would read Bartlett's Familiar Quotations in, during study hall. And you're thinking, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Maybe, <laughs> but that's what I would do. Bartlett's Familiar Quotations are a sentence or two, something smart or something funny or something uh, pointed that somebody said at some point along the line, something they said, it's written in this Bartlett's book of familiar quotations. In verse number 23 and 24, Job says, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. Now, by this time, Job has been speaking for off and on for 18 chapters. When he says, I wish 
my words were made into a bronze plaque or written down in a book. What do you think he's talking about? What words are he, is he referring to? Is Job referring to all the words of his life? Now think about that. We sometimes put Bible characters in a different realm than ourselves. They're not. Let me ask you this. Would you like to have all of the words that you've ever said written down in a book? Would anybody if you'd be so foolish say, I wish I had that? I won't raise, ask for a raise of hands, but most people say, man, the words I didn't even write down come back to haunt me all of the time. Can you imagine if it was all written down, how much your enemies would have to attack you with? How much you'd read through the book? Oh, wouldn't that be a painful book to read? The book of your words? Job was no different than you. Job was no fool. He's not saying, I sure wish I had somebody had written down everything I had ever said so that we could look through it right now. He wasn't that dumb. So what words is he referring to? He's been having a conversation for several days with these men. Is that what he's They are written down, by the way. Is he referring to that? I don't believe so, because later on, he's going to wish he could have eaten some of those words. You know what I'm saying? When the Lord comes back and says, look, this is what you've been saying, and this is the truth, Job was not, I don't think, wishing that all these would have been written down. So what words does Job wish that he would have engraved in stone or cast in bronze? I think what he's referring to are the words that he is about to speak. The whole chapter is dealing with surface issues, how he perceives things, how things look to him. And it's all kind of pessimistic, it's all kind of self-centered. And then he takes us, he stops and says, hold on, let me tell you what I know to be true. Let me show you my foundation. What he's saying is, let me give you some words that are worthy of being cast in bronze so that everybody can see it for all time. Most of what Job has said has not been worth repeating. But these that he's going to say are words worth remembering. So we'll take that as our title this morning, Words Worth Remembering. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. You know the needs of our heart. You know what could be done by your spirit if you would but give the word. So in faith, we're asking that you would do a work worthy of your own name, the work that we need done, and that you would move, remove any obstacle to that work. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Most of the words that Job utters in chapter number 19 have the ring of what we'll call self-pity. But verse number 25 to 27 come from the depth of Job's soul. These are words worth remembering. We'll put them down in six different points here. Number one, words worth remembering. Number one, verse number 25, the first part. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. This is a word worth remembering. I know that my Redeemer liveth. 
Job says, I have a solid foundation. I've gone through all of this, and there is a solid foundation I'm sitting on. I know my Redeemer liveth. First off, Job had recognized his need for a Redeemer. There's a personal pronoun here. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now, when you use a personal pronoun, it means that you have some association with that object, whatever that, prep, that pronoun is, is referring to. If you say, I, my mechanic, or you say, my plumber, it means that you have some connection with a guy. He's worked in your, on your car or on your plumbing. If you didn't own a car and you didn't own a house, you would you might you know the world is full of mechanics and plumbers, but you would never say my mechanic or my plumber because you have no association with them without a car. The my shows that there's an association here. And Job says, I know that not a redeemer liveth. That would have been accurate. But Job says, I know that my redeemer liveth. It's very important that we get a hold of this. Job knew that he needed a redeemer. Much of the world, they have trouble admitting that they have the need of a redeemer. They're trying to keep themselves level. They're trying to make sure that they're going to be in heaven. They're working toward that end, and that's the goal. They want to be in heaven. But to admit that you have failed seems like it's going in the wrong direction. Well, let's put it this way. If you're ever dealing with someone for the plan of salvation, very, time, very often I'll ask them, why should God let you into heaven? It's very interesting the answers you get. If you ask that question very often, it's very interesting the answers you get. Let me give you a hint. If you're ever dealing with somebody like this, take out a piece of paper and write down what they say. It is very helpful to do this. Because in your head... And if you're in, here, in your mind right now trying to think, why should God let me into heaven and you're making a list, go home and write that down on a piece of paper. In your head, it sounds like reasonable. When you put that down in black and white, it looks so ridiculous. You're like, what am I even thinking? Because nobody can get into heaven on what they have done. When you put it down... Most of it doesn't mean anything, what you put on your list. And a lot of it that's on there is suspect. There's not very much of it. And what is there is suspect. Like, well, you know, I wasn't really all that nice to my sister. I wasn't really all that. And I say it, but when I look at it, it's not actually the truth completely. And it just knocks the stuffing out of you. And most people say, wait a second. I'm trying to prove myself to God so that I can have a foundation for heaven. That's the wrong approach. What Job said is, I need a redeemer. I have missed the mark. Now, here's a man who has been trying and conscientiously working on his relationship with God, and he says, I have a redeemer. It's my redeemer. I have missed the mark. I have not done always what I should have done. I am not going to make it on my own I need someone to be my redeemer, to buy me back. I need someone who will square the books. 
And he recognized that although he had been very conscientious about his relationship with God, he was not perfect. He had fallen short, and he needed someone who would square the books, someone who would deal with his sin debt, someone who would redeem him to buy him back. It was his only hope, and Job said, not only do I need one, but my Redeemer liveth. Do you not see that this is the way for peace? The only way? The only solid foundation? Your works, if you are trying works to get you into heaven, your works will never be enough. You need a Redeemer who will buy you back. And my friend, that Redeemer is Jesus Christ. I know my Redeemer liveth. We won't go into detail for time's sake, but this, this statement also proves the deity of Jesus Christ. By that we mean that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. The book of Job was written long before the New Testament, long before Mary and Joseph went to the inn. Jesus Christ did not begin at Christmas at his birth. Job says, right now, my Redeemer liveth. Jesus Christ is from eternity past. He took on human flesh Christmas 2,000 years ago. But Job said long before that, my Redeemer liveth. My Redeemer is the Son of God. God the Son. Jesus Christ. These are words worth remembering. I know my Redeemer liveth. Second word, number two. The second phrase here, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. That he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He's going to stand at, on the earth sometime in the future. You know, Job had a double meaning here. Job was living in the Old Testament days. For us, there's only one meaning here, but for Job, there was two. Because Job was living in the Old Testament he looked forward and said, my Redeemer is coming. He's going to be born on the earth. He's going to dwell among us. He's going to take our sin upon himself, and he's going to die in our place. He's going to stand in the latter days. Sometime in the, in the future, he's going to come and redeem us by his death. But my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. The grave that they put him in is empty. The tomb that they sealed with a stone, had the stone rolled away. Sin and death could not hold Christ in the grave. He paid the sin debt in full, and God the Father raised him from the dead. Job says, he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. He stood once upon the earth. He came as Savior. But we know that this also has another meaning. He is coming again. He promised to return when he ascended back into heaven, and he will return. Not the meek and mild sacrificial lamb. You've got to get a hold of this. When Christ came the first time and was born in that manger, he came as the meek and mild lamb of God. But when he comes and stands in the, on the earth in the latter days, he will stand as king of kings and lord of lords. He will rule and reign Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friend, these are words worth remembering. I know that my Redeemer liveth. 
and he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. Verse number uh, 26 is our point number three. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Number three, in my flesh I shall see God. Job doesn't really sugarcoat the truth here. We don't like to get down into these nitty-gritty details. But he draws a picture for us that none of us really want to visualize. When, though my, after my skin, worms destroy this body, that's not really something we want to think about. But let me ask you this. Why do we act like this isn't true? Why do we live like this isn't going to happen? Why are we pushing this thought off that this is only a temporary place where we are living? You know, I've been contemplating this quite a bit here the last little while. I've been contemplating all those that have gone on before us. And as I contemplated that, the picture that came into my mind, because my brain thinks in pictures, have you ever been to the airport and seen the people movers? The, the moving sidewalks, they call them. They look like an escalator that's flat. Have you ever seen those? It's interesting to watch people on those. Some people get on and they stand and they go. And some people get on and they walk as the thing is going. They're all moving from point A to point B. And they're all getting off on one end. And it's a continual row of people. It's like people getting on and people getting off. And it's never, it's not the same people. They go by and they go by. Some go by quickly because they're walking. Some are actually running trying to catch a plane. Some are kind of standing there. A few people actually try to walk backwards a little bit. But you know what? Nobody gets off on this side. They all get off on that side. And they all get off. Some a little quicker than others. But it's a continually moving thing. Now, it's so many people, and there's so many people being fed into it, that it seems like there's always people there. But it's not the same people. And people have gotten off on the end, right? And new are getting on this side. And this is not, is this not a very good picture of life. And we're all on this thing, and it's going a lot faster than what we expected it to go. But the fact of the matter is, we better quit acting like this thing goes on forever on this earth. We're acting like there is nothing else. We're acting like some, the worms aren't going to eat us, as Job said. We better quit that. We better remember that there is an end here. This life is not all that there is. You know what he says? Even though that happens... The worms destroy me. In my flesh, I shall see God. In my flesh, I shall see God. Death is unavoidable and it's coming quickly. But Job says, even though death is coming and the worms are going to eat my body, in my flesh, I will see God. God is going to make it happen. We're not just going to be some spirit floating around heaven. We're not going to be some mental force. I will stand in a glorified body and see God. This time is coming very soon. These are words worth remembering. My Redeemer liveth. 
I shall stand, he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. In my flesh I shall see God. And number four, verse 27, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. I shall see him for myself. I shall see him for myself. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to visualize this. My brain has difficulty picturing seeing the Lord Jesus myself. It's not very hard for me to see the whole group, the ransom throng as they call it, this whole group of people standing before God. I can see that. That's not very difficult. We have experience in that. But it's tough to see myself personally standing face to face with the Lord. And Job says, not another. What he means by that is, he's not a stranger. He's not a stranger. I'm going to see him with my own eyes, and he will not be a stranger to me. Have you contemplated that? Seeing Jesus Christ with your own eyes. Knowing him as he already knows you. No, I don't think for a second we'll all just stand there. Such glory and majesty and love and holiness will, like almost every other encounter in the Scriptures, have us flat on our faces. But Job says, I am going to with my own eyes see him. And he has a partial experience of this in, at the end of the story, and that's where he finds himself is flat on his face. But with your own eyes... You will see God and know Him. These are words worth remembering. My Redeemer liveth. He will stand in the latter day upon the earth. In my flesh I shall see God, and my eyes shall behold Him and know Him. Number five. In verse number 27 at the end. Though my reins be consumed within me. Though my reins be consumed within me. Old English, very difficult for us to wrap around our minds around this unless we think about it. Reins, we know what that word means. It's like a horse. What controls a horse? Consume means that they're gone. My brother was riding a horse one time, my older brother Steve. And the horse got the bit in his teeth, if you know what that means. Meaning the reins no longer work. And that horse took my brother on a ride he would never forget. He eventually took him under two clotheslines trying to shuck him off. It was a runaway horse. This is basically what Job is saying. The reins are consumed. The reins don't work anymore. What it means is, I just can't wait. What should be holding me back? I just can't wait. Now, where this is said in Job's speaking is important. If this had been before the passage we just read, Job's listing all these, oh, poor me, and these people don't like me, and this is happening bad, and these people are against me, and this isn't working out the way I want, and I just can't wait to go to heaven. We would assume that he meant, I can't wait because of all that's happening around here. I can't wait to leave this place. But that's not where it's placed. It is placed in the where Job says, 
I am going to see him with my own eyes. And I can't wait. The difference between this is I can't wait to get out of here or I can't wait to see him. And my friend, there is a world of difference in that. Very often, your day, if you want to know whether, where you're sitting on this, if your desire for heaven and to see Christ goes up and down with how your day's going, we all have good days and bad days, right? Things are going the right way, you think. Things are going the bad. If your desire to see Christ goes up and down with the day you're having, it's not the right view. Because... Good days, bad days, doesn't matter, does not affect your desire to see Christ. If your focus is truly on Christ, it will not, your good days and your bad days will not want you to stay here on the earth. Your life, your reigns within you will say, I cannot wait to see my Savior with my own eyes. These are words worth remembering. My Redeemer liveth. He will stand in the latter day upon the earth. In my flesh I shall see God. My own eyes shall behold him and know him. I can't wait to see him. In verse 28 and 29, Job shifts his focus from himself to his friends. Let's read that very quickly and we're out of here. But ye should say, why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be afraid of the sword for, for wrath. Sorry, be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishment of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. We don't have time to explain all of what this means. Let's just get the gist of it here in the last phrase. That ye may know there is a judgment. Point six, words worth remembering. There is a judgment. Job's friends were shooting from the hip. They were talking about things they really didn't understand. They were accusing him falsely. And Job tries to pull them up sharply and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember here, there's a judgment. And these words are worth remembering. And it's worth noting that there are two judgments. We're all pretty much aware of the first judgment. The judgment, the great white throne judgment, as it is called, where unbelievers are sentenced to a place Called hell, a place apart from God, the lake of fire. We're all pretty much familiar with that. And Job says, I remember there is a judgment where people are sent to an eternity without God. When I'm working, I like to listen, watch, I like, I'm just listening because I'm working, old TV shows. And for the last couple of days, we've been listening, watching the old TV show Emergency. Remember Emergency? And two episodes had this. It's kind of passed by me until I, was, I, I stopped to contemplate what they had said. In two different episodes, these guys had fallen. One, one guy had fallen off of a, a tower and was hanging in his middle, okay, so he's hanging, strapped in his middle from, by, a, by a rope. And they thought his back was probably broken hanging there. The other guy was on top of this, and a big beam came down and smashed him in between these pipes. And when they got to the guys, they both said the same thing when they got there. You've got to help me. The pain is more, I don't think I can handle it anymore. I don't think I can, you've got to do something for the pain. I'm not going to make it because of the pain. And I just passed by as I, as, as I said it, and I was because I was working. And I got to contemplating that, though, this morning. 
We all can put ourselves in that position where the pain is so great that I don't know if I'm going to make this. My heart started aching this morning when I started thinking about people in eternity of pain far greater than that. You think about this was physical pain they were in, but you think about the physical and the emotional and the spiritual and the psychological pain of an eternity without God. And these guys are hurting. They're saying, I don't think I can make this. But there aren't any options. There is no ending of that. And you say, how could God do something like that? My friend, he didn't do it. We did. Sin has consequences. We chose the sin. We chose the consequences. And God would be absolutely just in saying, look, that's what you chose. Okay, that's what you've got. He could have done nothing and been absolutely just in doing nothing. But God, in his love, did not do that. In his love, he sent his only begotten son and at great price paid your sin debt. And if you would reject that, God is absolutely just if he had done nothing. But how much more just in the fact that he provided a free plan of salvation for you. And to reject that is to choose to have that kind of suffering for eternity. It hurts in the inside to even think about that and that someone would go there. My friend, if you're in that spot, I would beg of you to take Christ as your Savior today. But if you're a believer here, you cannot forget. We, we, okay, we've got that taken care of. I know that I'm not going to that judgment. My friend, there is another judgment. There is the judgment seat of Christ. And yes, we do not understand all of that means and how what it entails and what it looks like for all eternity. We don't understand all that. But I can tell you this. The Lord was continually pointing to that, saying, there is a judgment, and you had better be careful. And believers, he was talking to believers, you had better be serious, and you better be living for eternity. You better keep this in the forefront of your mind and keep a watch on what you're doing. Because there is a judgment. And no, it is not for he between heaven and hell, but there is a judgment. And we were continually warned to keep that idea in our minds. These are words worth remembering. My Redeemer liveth. He will stand in the latter day upon the earth. In my flesh I shall see God. My own eyes shall behold and know him. I can't wait to see him. And there is a judgment. We could carve these words in stone. We could cast them in bronze. But how much better to have them written on our hearts. They are words worth remembering. Let's pray.